Hello everyone, Jose Zayas here. And if you're watching us uh, live at 10 a.m. on Sunday, it's kind of cool that even though we're spread all over the city and some of us other states, other parts of the world, we're experiencing God's goodness uh, together. I guess the question is, if you're watching this in the morning, have you had an argument yet? I mean, one of the downsides of being home all the time is I'll confess, I've gotten way too snappy and gotten on edge too much with the people that I work with, whether it's on a call or a Zoom, or definitely with the people that I live with. So my apologies again to Carmen and my kids. I think at this stage, even our dog, Daisy's getting a little tired of me being uptight. Actually, that's not true. I mean, Daisy. The, the girl can just lay there all day. She just loves it. Feed her a couple of times, give her a walk. She loves us all. But I think for the rest of us, we're navigating with this length of time out of our normal rhythms and really confined more than we normally should be. We're getting on each other's nerves. And here's the interesting thing. This is such good news. We're going through uh, Jesus's major teaching in Matthew, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're doing is we're learning how to live as Jesus's followers. And it's crazy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is speaking to a group of maybe a hundred, couple of hundred people who are following him early on in his ministry. And it speaks to our situation Today. Now, if you're just catching this mid-series, please listen to last week's or watch last week's message where we talked about the importance of the Bible and how Jesus, he came not to abolish, get rid of, undermine, throw away God's word, God's Torah, God's teaching, God's law. No, he came to fulfill it. And last week we talked about five questions that we ought to ask ourselves whenever I look at one of the laws in the first part of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, how do I live that out now? And what we're gonna do this morning is gonna continue on what Jesus said in Matthew 5. And what Matthew does here is gives us five laws, or I should say six laws that Jesus gives us and how he brings these Old Testament laws to completion, to fulfillment. What Jesus does is he took, uh, takes what God told Israel and now in light of Jesus, how we as followers are supposed to live it out. Well, let's just read it. Matthew 5, the first one starts in verse 21. Jesus said, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, and again, this is Jesus giving his word as the authoritative word when it comes to the word of God. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Bible. What in the world's going on here? Now, again, Jesus didn't come to throw away the law, but rather to bring the, the right understanding of it. And what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, you heard about murder, but there are other things that will be judged as well. Now, what's going on here? The fire of hell, if someone's angry, let's start at the beginning. Jesus takes one of the Ten Commandments. It's in Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. And again, everyone was familiar with this. This was commonplace. And this is one of the ones, and I think this is why he starts with, quote unquote, an easy one. 
everyone would agree that murder is wrong. And in Hebrew, the word rasha is not about killing in general. It's very specific. It's about premeditated. It's about intentional killing. You're not supposed to take another life intentionally. And again, the Ten Commandments is the beginning of the 613 commandments that frame out how we live in a right relationship with God and how we live in a right relationship one with another. Uh, God is pulling together a people that are going to love one another and love him. And so these commands really matter. And, and this one stands like through any culture, anywhere around the world, most, whether they believe the Bible or not, would say that intentionally killing another person, murder, is wrong. And there's judgment for it. And no one's surprised. Anywhere around the world, any culture, if someone's caught in the act of murder, uh, they should be brought to justice. We, we get that. So here's the question. Have you murdered anyone? No. Well, then I fulfill the law, right? Well, sort of. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill all of the Old Testament laws to, to give us the right understanding of it. And according to Jesus, thou shalt not murder is about more than taking of innocent life. There's something else going on here. So when, when Jesus says, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shouldn't murder. And then he's going to tell us the heart. What's the intention behind it? And what's God saying? And it's more than just the taking of innocent lives. What's going on here? Remember we said in the five questions we gave last week, whenever I see any law in the Old Testament, I ought to ask at least five good questions to help me understand it. Well, let's just go straight to the fifth one, which is, what does this um, Old Testament law have to do in light of our New Testament understanding? When I look at this ancient law given to Moses, ancient Israel, I need to ask myself, where does this fit in the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus' followers? So here's what I think that we get. Here's the big picture, and we're going to look at this line by line. Do not murder is about more than the taking of human life. There's something else at play. There's judgment for all who murder. We get that. Check. I followed the command. But Jesus is after the full intention of God. What do we do with anger? Notice what he says here. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with brother or sister will be subject to judgment as well. Murder leads to judgment. Jesus says, yes, well done. And in his kingdom, the same goes and, and is true. It's not like Jesus eradicates the judgment for murder, but he says anger also leads to judgment. Speaking words that demean other people, those also lead to judgment. In other words, Jesus is expanding on the heart of God when it comes to how we live with one another. And so yes, the taking of innocent life is, life is wrong, but what do we do when we get angry? Now, angry here specifically is carrying anger or remaining angry. I think we would all agree that anger in one sense is an emotion and is usually in response to something that we dislike or is painful or, or wrong. So I don't think Jesus is saying if you've ever had the emotion of anger, you know, well up, then, then you're as guilty as a murderer. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, there are times, and you see it throughout the Bible, when God gets angry. Uh, now, when does God get angry? It's when he sees injustice. And so there are times where even his people 
the right response is to be angry that what is evil and is wrong is still going on. I mean, if you think about just the, the news in the last few weeks, the, um, the murder of 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, it's, it's made like international headlines. And there's this overwhelming anger that, you know, here is a young person that we don't know all the details and the trial is yet to happen, but it seems like race and color had to play in his, in his death. And, and when you see that and you hear that, even those who don't follow Jesus uh, get angry, right? And then when you see injustice, his is just one example that really caused people to explode, but there's so many other cases. There's the ones that have been happening for decades. When something that's evil is happening, the right response is to say, this is, this is wrong. And I don't think Jesus is speaking against that. Uh, there's the taking of innocent life every day. Uh, all around the world, babies, are, are, their life is ended in the womb. They have no voice, no way to speak, no way to, to raise uh, up any, anything against what's happening to them. And, and we should get angry at that. That, that lives are being taken and no one's even saying anything. That ought to disturb us. There are all sorts of scenarios that, that do stir up anger. The question is, what do we do with our anger? There are moments where, where anger leads us against injustice to the right response. But most of the time, and I think what Jesus is sitting here, is most of the time when we get angry, it's not in that righteous way where we see injustice and the heart of God says, this ought not to be. Most of the time, anger leads us in the wrong direction. So Jesus says, again, anyone says, who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool is in the danger of the fire of hell. And these are like explosive words. I think Jesus is using very vivid imagery because we see murder as this big thing, right? And that deserves big judgment. And what Jesus is, is saying is what about anger and speaking evil words against people that are unjustified? We see those as little things. And Jesus says, actually, those are big things as well. What happens when we get angry matters. And he's talking about life as his followers. Life in the kingdom of God, life under God's good rule is where we see obviously murder is wrong and injustice is wrong. But also the smaller things that we're apt to overlook, especially in our own life, Jesus is saying his followers are gonna look at those as well. And we're not gonna think lightly about what anger leads us to. So anyone who speaks evil, the word raka here in Aramaic was saying like someone's empty headed or a fool or an idiot. And he's saying, even in their day, if you were just to defame someone, right? If you were to speak evil against someone, you could be, you could be taken to the local, whether it's the synagogue or the local ruler and say, you can't just speak evil against someone. There may be judgment, especially if you're speaking in a way that's wrong and, and demeaning someone's character. There's judgment for that. And even, and even you fool, answerable to the, to the danger of the fire of hell. I don't think Jesus is saying that someone's gonna be sent to hell for speaking one evil word against someone, but he's, he's using emphatic language to make a point. What I do when these emotions come up, especially anger, 
matter. And if you're going to follow Jesus, we don't need to brush that aside and see that as, as irrelevant and unimportant. We need to take anger seriously. Relationships matter. When you think of the connection of murder and anger, you know, both of them are about the breakdown of human relationships, obviously the taking of a life, but in anger and speaking evil words or speaking behind someone's back, it really breaks it apart. And remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law, to give us what the Bible is teaching on the whole. And if you think about it, what was the first sin early on? If you read back to Genesis 3, and you got Adam and Eve, God gave a clear word, everything is permissible, enjoy everything, yet just trust me, trust me. This one thing is off. You're not to touch this fruit. You're not to touch this tree. Believe me. And, and obviously, Adam and Eve believe the lie, right? They listen to the serpent who says that God's holding out on you and he's, he's trying to keep you from something and they do their own thing. So they rebel against God. What's the second sin that we see? Now, in Adam and Eve, it, it, it pits them against one another and it pits them against God and now they have to leave the garden. But what happens next? It's interesting. In Genesis chapter four, we see that they have children, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And right after the breakdown between relationship with God and one another in the garden, what's the next thing we see breaking down human relationships and family relationships? You know, it's anger. I'm just gonna read it to you. Genesis four, verses four to seven. The Lord looked uh, at favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So both brothers bring a sacrifice. They do something in their relationship with God and God looks pleasurably on Abel, but not on, on Cain. And we don't get all the details why, but Cain gets angry that God is more pleased with Abel and so something happens within him. Now notice, God speaks to him, verse six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Implication here is that Cain knew the right thing to do and didn't do it. But either way, even if he was living in ignorance and acting in ignorance, God tells him, if you do the right thing, you'll be accepted as well. But if you do not do what is right, notice, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. He's angry at his brother. He's angry at God. And God in his love and in his mercy says, you better watch it because anger is gonna take you to places that you do not need to go. Sin is there at the door. And so Jesus, who takes all of the Bible and, and brings it to his followers and says, you can live in a way that pleases God, reminds us, it's interesting, of the six examples that he's gonna give us in, in this Sermon on the Mount, the first one is about anger. And the first sin after Adam and Eve is about the results of unbridled and undealt with anger. And so Cain obviously ignores the warning and he ends up murdering his own brother, which reminds us, the goal of God's law from the beginning was to keep relationship with God and relationship with another in healthy places. And so God, when Adam and Eve sin, he steps in and he guides them and he leads them. And now Cain, he's trying to keep him from sin. And yet when Cain does not follow God's way, God's truth, God's leading, he ends up murdering his own 
brother. And so what Jesus does in his teaching is he connects the dots. Relationship with God, my relationship with God, your relationship with God, our relationship with God, it matters. And so living in a way that pleases God matters. But God at the same token is equally concerned that we live in a way with other people. Remember, Cain is made in the image and likeness of God. Abel is made in the image and likeness of God. And there's something about human relationships that is at the very heart of who God is. Just think about it. God is relational in his very essence and his very being. We see from the beginning that God, when he reveals himself, he reveals himself as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Distinct, different. They're not, the Father isn't the Son and the Son isn't the Spirit and the Spirit isn't the Father. They're unique and yet they're interrelated at the deepest level. And so they always honor one another and love one another and they are one God united. And God creates humans in his likeness. He created us to be in, in right relationship one with another. And so God in his love says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's anger when we let anger slip in and guide our behavior that we're gonna get ourselves out of sync with the heart of God and out of sync with one another. Now, getting, getting back to Jesus, it's interesting. Uh, he starts with brother and sister. He says, if you speak an evil word, raka, you fool, against your brother and sister, it, it kind of goes back to the heart of Cain, Abel. Especially when it comes to those of us who are following Jesus, where does it need to begin? In relationships with one with another, we need to think about our emotions and our response to people and don't leave anger unchecked. Now, as I said, the fifth question we ask whenever we look at one of the New Testament laws is how do we live this out in light of our New Testament situation? Jesus says that, that anger is important and it matters that we let God deal with our own heart when it comes to how we feel about other people and how we act. Well, what are the other uh, New Testament writers who are living and writing in light of Jesus, what do they have to say? I just want to give you one because it's exactly in sync and, and it's almost a quote of what Jesus says here. Ephesians 4 verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4 26 says this, quote, in your anger do not sin. I think Paul's like leaning directly in on Jesus's teaching. In your anger don't sin. Do, and then he gives like practical advice. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And notice the connector. Do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't, don't ignore your anger. Don't, don't, uh, don't act on your anger. Don't live in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold, which means our motives are tainted. You know, early on I said that in one sense, to, to get angry is to be human. But most of the time, we are not, we're not dealing with anger in a way that is right and good and pleasing to God. Most of the time, you know, we've been hurt, our pride's been hurt, our, 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 our you know, life has been hurt, and so we lash back out at people. And when Cain was dealing with an issue between God and his brother, God warned him, if you don't deal with this, since crouching out the door, and so Paul can say in light of Genesis and in light of Jesus, in your anger, do not sin. We need to deal with it. Don't stuff it, don't ignore it. 
but let God bring light to it. Let God bring forgiveness to it. We don't have to remain angry. Again, that distinction, the moment where, you know, something happens and that emotion comes, uh, I'm now responsible to deal with it. As I'm talking, as a Jesus follower, I have the ability, because God's given me his Holy Spirit, I don't have to lash out. I don't have to respond in the same way. I can act differently in light of Jesus. Remember the blessings, you know, blessed are you, all those of you who follow me. We're, we now belong to Jesus. We now have his favor. We now have his grace. We now have his goodness. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We don't have to act in, in the same old way. So let's get practical. Who are you holding anger against right now? I want you to think about it. And if, since we have the Holy Spirit, it may not take very long for you to think, have a mental picture, someone flash, or maybe they're, they're, in, maybe they're in your room. Maybe they, you were just talking to them before you came and, and watched this gathering. Who are you angry at now? Who are you refusing to forgive? Or in light of the words of Jesus, who are you speaking uh, words against? Raka, you fool. Uh, who are you talking about behind their back and they don't even know it? Who, who are you speaking evil of because of something that they did to you a while ago and you just can't get over it. And so you feel justified in speaking all of these things that are uh, just demeaning against them. Probably they're not even accurate. There may be a sliver of truth, but a lot of it is just the way we see it. And we're speaking out of our pain and out of our hurt. And Jesus is saying to us, we need to be careful there's, there's judgment for murder, but in the kingdom of God, when we act out on anger and when we speak out of anger because we're his kingdom children, that does not produce the life of God. And there's judgment. It's, it's serious to God. This matters. And, and since we belong to Jesus, our culture may say, who cares? And hey, they did it to you. So who cares if you do it back to them? But this is not the way Jesus's disciples are supposed to live. Now, I said early on in the series that Jesus is going to get in our face when it comes to how we live. And this is like a primary example, whereas our culture says anger is not that big of a deal and we're probably justified. Jesus isn't giving any excuse for us to act out and, and feed on the anger inside of us, but rather we're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to live more like Jesus. So what do we do? Here's the beauty. Jesus does not leave us to figure it out ourselves. He gives us by way of example what we're supposed to do next. Look at verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now this is a visual that's hard for us to get because right now you're a attending a church gathering on a screen, probably in your pajamas, in your house, on your couch, in your bed, hanging out. But you have to remember when Jesus is speaking to this, uh, the group of people, the place of worship was where? Jerusalem. They, they had to come to the temple and offer the sacrifice. So Jesus says in a very vivid way, they had to walk. Most of them, if you came on an animal or you walked, it could take you a day, it could take you two days. If you were living way up north, away from Jerusalem, it could take you four or five days to make it to worship. So I'm gonna go on the extreme. Jesus says to a group of people, hey, if you walked and journeyed five days in the desert sun, 
stayed in people's homes or camped out outside with your sacrifice, carrying this, going to honor and worship God, to ask God for forgiveness for the things that you've done. You make it to Jerusalem and people are waiting. You don't just like go straight up. People are lined up and you wait and wait and wait in line at the temple to offer your sacrifice. This is your worship to God. And then, then you get there. You finally, it's your turn and you have your grain or you have your animal and you've, you've trekked for five days. You were intentional. I want to honor God with my life. And then you're there and you realize a flash comes in your mind like someone back at the village someone that you work with or someone in your family, man, things are just not right. What does Jesus say to do? This is crazy talk. This is extreme. Jesus says, leave it. Worship to God matters. It's not like, you know, our, our relationship with God is unimportant or secondary. He's like, put a pause on that. Leave your sacrifice there. Walk five days home, five days back to your village. Make things right. That, that may take a little bit of time to talk it over and figure out and confess your sin and, 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 and get back together. Oh yeah, then walk five days back to Jerusalem and then present your, your offering to God. Oh, by the way, then walk five days back home. Wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus simply to say, hey, finish, offer your sacrifice, make sure things are right with God. But then, you know, eventually when you get home, take care of it. No, Jesus is highlighting the importance. We disconnect and, and we want to put them in two different boxes and say, there's me and Jesus' life, like me and God, like things are, are good with me and God. And here's what Jesus presses in on. Are things okay with you and God while things are not okay with you and someone else? I want that to sit in for a moment. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't offer grace and forgiveness. It doesn't mean that he stiff arms us. But we want to separate the two and say, yeah, me and Jesus are fine. And, and forget that to God, our relationship with someone else is a part of our worship. It's a part of our demonstrating that we're really his followers. And so Jesus uses extreme language, just like the whole, you know, someone who says you fool is in danger of the fires of hell. He's not saying that he's sending them to hell. He's saying about, look, you need to, you need to think about what you're saying because there's real judgment when we don't live in a way that's honorable to Jesus. And he's saying here, the right thing to do is to go and pause worship so that you can be reconciled to your brother or your sister and then come and worship as well. These are strong words. And this just highlights, again, Jesus loves to use extreme language, extreme to us, or extreme examples to prove a point. Our relationship with God and our relationship with people are, are intertwined. Therefore, as Jesus's people, as those who have a relationship with God living on display, what happens when we get angry matters. How we think about people matters. How we speak about them matters. How we act towards them honestly matters. All right, so where do we begin? I love it. Jesus is like full service here. He tells us a picture of what we ought to do. We ought to make the extra effort. And then he gets really clear. Look at verse 25. Settle matters quickly. Now, he started with brother or sister. If you have an issue with someone who's in the community of faith, a brother or a sister, don't speak evil against them. Don't speak out of anger. Go home to the village, reconcile. But there are situations that are beyond the people of faith. It's one thing for us to say, like, we should make sure within the church that we should have a right relationship with other people. 
But Jesus goes beyond this. Notice, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Now he's not even talking about a brother or sister. So a right, right relationship with people within the church, within God's people matters. But he's not just limiting it to those relationships within the church. He's saying because we belong to God, because we're in right relationship with him, as much as we can, we need to settle things even with people who've come against us. Notice, with your adversary, who is taking you to court? And notice his wisdom. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. This is interesting because it seems like this person's taking you to court. He doesn't give the details, but he's implying when you get to the place of justice, you may find that you're not justified. We think we're in the right. And sometimes when we act out of anger, we say, because they did this, I need to do this. And what Jesus is saying, when you get to the place where someone listens to the whole story, you may be the person who may be found guilty. You may be found unjustified. Very, uh, verse 26, truly I tell you, you will ne not get out until you have paid the last penny. We think we have the right to respond in a way that seems like emotionally fitting because of what has happened to us. And Jesus is saying with brother or sister and with adversary, with the person that we've offended, with the person who's offended us, what's the right response when we have moments or seasons of anger? And often, let's not kid ourselves, with that person or that issue, it comes up, it gets settled, God's grace is there, God's spirit is there. And then two weeks later, what happens? Something triggers it. And it goes off again. And then a year later, it, it doesn't mean we settle this once. Settle it though quickly. Don't stew on it. Don't ignore it. Don't stuff it. We ought to think about the people that God has put our way as, as an opportunity to worship. And we worship God fully by making sure things are right with him and right with other people. Jesus says, take the initiative. Now this leads to like, wow, all sorts of questions about you know, what do we do? Let's just start with, with church uh, or your own family. Is there someone within your physical family, your immediate family, like your blood relatives that you're not right with? Jesus is saying, let's start there. If there's a brother or sister, let's, let's settle it. And what does that look like? For Jesus in his examples, it's pretty extreme that this person who's worshiping would leave it and go home at a big cost to make things right. And then in the second example, the person's taking you to court and Jesus says, hey, while you're both walking there, figure a way to settle it because you may not be in the right. And, and, and in my mind, most of the time, I'm in the right. And in my mind, most of the time, I'm justified in why I do what I do. But you know what? The longer I've been a believer, the more I realize how off I can be in my own mind. And I think it's the heart of you know, thou shalt not murder. Yes, obviously don't take a life, but also don't do things, don't act in a way that it's gonna destroy human relationships when God is most pleased when we're right with him and we're right with the people around us. Every relationship matters, the big and the small, the blood relative, the church relative, so to speak, and even within our community. And this doesn't mean, hear me, this doesn't mean that we're gonna be able to settle it with everyone. 
That's why what I wanna do is really just lay the foundation this week for what Jesus said, right? What does he tell us to do? Take the initiative. What does he tell us to do? Settle the matter quickly. Operative word being quickly. Uh, don't let too much time go by. And maybe you're hearing this even now, you're like, man, I need to hit the pause button. Hit the pause button, lower the laptop, after I finish the sentence, and make the phone call. Uh, try to meet if you can. I know with our social, you know, or physical distancing, it's a little hard. But if you, if you could FaceTime it where you actually see each other rather than phone, um, that would be great. If you could physically be in the same room, just stay apart and talk it through. It, it doesn't make a difference where they're at with the situation right now. If you know in your own soul that there's something that you need to settle, what Jesus is saying is one of his followers take, initi take initiative as you're going along the journey and don't wait later on for the judge to listen to your case because you may be found more guilty than you think. So the operative word is settle it. But uh, what do we do about scenarios where a person doesn't want to settle it? What do we do about complicated situations where, you know, like Jose, this sounds simplistic. If I get angry, okay, try to make it right. But what do I do if, if they won't listen? What do I do if they're not around here anymore? What do I do if they don't recognize that they're in the wrong at all? And I think they're in the right and they don't, they don't care. What we want to do is build on this. And next week, we're going to look at steps that we can take from scripture. What does the Bible have to say? Remember, whenever we look at a law, we look at it in light of our New Testament situation. What does the Bible have to say about things that we can do and ought to do? We're gonna wait till next week and we wanna lay out a simple plan, a grid for us that's not perfect, but at least it gives us a pathway that whenever we are in conflict with someone, what can we do based on what God's revealed in scripture that will take us closer to healing and wholeness? But for today, let's just stick with what Jesus said. Deal with your anger. And uh, if there's someone right now that you're you know, not settled with, you're not alone, I think most of us can think of at least one person. Uh, before we pray and we go to the table and remember Jesus's love and sacrifice, a, a helpful quote, one of the commentators on this passage, I think he put this together with what we feel when we hear words like this. His name is uh, Frederick Bruner, and we'll put this on the screen just so you can see it. He says, Jesus's command is too hard. This is why... Jesus's disciples need Jesus at all. The commands constantly call us to the Christ who gives them. Jesus's blessings are always there to comfort us in our defeats. Jesus's commands are always there to challenge us in our complacencies. We need both constantly. I think that's the word for today. Jesus' challenges are there uh, to challenge, Jesus' commands are there to challenge us. And sometimes we can get, get complacent on our bent, in our behavior, in our natural patterns, or the way we used to live before we started following Jesus. But thankfully, we've been given the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll look at it next week, but I think the basis, the reason we ought to think about how we're responding and think about our emotions and think about how we're acting out of anger is because of God's great news towards us. Do you know, God had every right and has every right to act out of righteous anger towards us. We're the ones who have offended him. We're the ones who offend one another. We're the ones who've sinned. We're the guilty ones. And if we were to stand in court, God would be found innocent and we would be found absolutely 
guilty. But notice how God models the way we're supposed to live. While we were still sinning, Romans tells us, Jesus Christ died for us. For God loved the world, you and me, so much that he sent his son. Think about it. This is the message that we've embraced. Not that we had it together and then God showed his favor on us, but in our own brokenness, in our sin, in our rebellion, God doesn't respond with anger, but rather he responds with love. Yes, he has every right to judge our sin in full, but instead he sent his, his own son who would be the sacrifice for us and God provided in his love a way for us to be made right with him and right with other people. And because we've received God's grace and because we received God's goodness, because by faith we've chosen to follow Jesus, now not only are we made right, not only is, is our sin removed and forgiven and we're set free, but now we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's own self living in us. We can now respond with love, with mercy, with grace, with real forgiveness. And because we've been reconciled, because our relationship has been made right by faith in Jesus, now we've been given this ministry, this work of reconciliation as though God were making his appeal to people through us. We can be made right with God, which gives us the power to be made right with one another. And my friends, wherever you're at today, if you can think of that one person, I need you to know this, the blessings that Jesus spoke, the Beatitudes, the blessed are you, those relate to you. You are blessed, you are favored, you are graced, and God has enabled you because of his goodness, because of expressing faith in Jesus, he's now giving you the ability to live out the hard stuff. He's giving you the ability to act not out of anger and respond out of anger and with more anger, but rather to, to show and choose kindness and love and mercy and forgiveness. Now, I am not in any way suggesting that this is easy, but I think that's why the commands are there. Jesus is reminding us, not only is he gonna be the one who purchase and provide forgiveness, but now we're his forgiveness people. How in the world is anyone outside of Jesus' family right now gonna know what it's like to follow God if they see us act like everybody else? And if we respond with vengeance, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, how does that display the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus? It, the fact is, it just doesn't. And so this matters. Now, maybe this is something that we've just overlooked. Even now, we're gonna come to the bread and the cup, and this is just so fitting. It, it's, this, is, this is the beautiful combination of the blessings and the commands because Jesus says, and why don't even now, if you would get, if you already have it, uh, the bread and the cup, um, and we're gonna take it in a moment, but notice the combination. It starts with grace. Jesus died and rose again to make us right with him. This is the good news. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. God and his love did it for us. This is the great news. What's the right response? Receive it. And if you've not yet become a child of God, if you've not re yet responded in faith to Jesus' message of absolute forgiveness and his death and resurrection, why not now? Receive, receive, receive. And communion for the Jesus follower is the reminder that we continue to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. So if you've chosen to follow Jesus, we're gonna eat and drink together. But before we do that, let's pray and let's ask that God the Holy Spirit would dig deep 
into our own soul. For some of us, you already know who it is. But for others, we've pushed it down so far that we don't even see. We don't even see that our relationship's been broken with some people and it has not been dealt with, with love and God's grace. And before we eat and drink, let's bring those to the Father and let's ask Him by the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to take the initiative to reconcile, to settle the matter quickly and by His grace and mercy, even in our own strength, it seems impossible that He would make it possible as much as we can, as much as is within our power to live at peace with everybody, as the Bible says. We need Jesus. So if you've not yet received him, do it now. If you have received him, as we eat and drink, let's remember his grace, his enabling power is available to you and me today to live not out of anger, but out of love. Lord, we pause and we say, we're so sorry because we've not followed your example, we've not walked in your model, we've not walked in your way. Instead of turning the other cheek and choosing to forgive, Lord, we've chosen to strike back. And Lord, we, we confess that we have not just felt anger in the moment, but we've let it settle, we've let it stick, and we've let it pollute the way we think about people and the way we speak about people. And Lord, we wanna call it what it is, it's a sin, it's an offense, it's not right especially in light of the mercy and grace that we received in you, Jesus. But now we come to the table and we remember, Lord Jesus Christ, you're the sinless one and you paid our debt in full and we are truly free and we are truly forgiven and we say thank you. Now, Holy Spirit of God, as we eat and drink, give us the wisdom, give us the discernment, help us to see the person that we need to be made right with so that we could honor you not just with our lips, but with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Let's eat together, let's drink together, and let's respond in worship. And next week, we'll look at steps that we can take to actually bring about these restored relationships.